Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. We're in day 393 of our three-year journey through God's Word in 1 Samuel chapter 19. This chapter is a bit of a doozy. There's some disturbing things and some confusing things. Um, Definitely not the easiest chapter. So we'll pray and ask the Lord for help, and then we'll dig in together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the author of your word. You are the savior of our lives. You are the creator and sustainer of the universe. You are truth and the God of all truth. And you are the one who leads us in your truth for your name's sake. And you bless us and keep us. So Father, by your Holy Spirit, would you please teach us? Would you please lead us? Would you please build us up in Christ? It's in his name we pray. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 19, Saul is turning darker. He's already been troubled by troubled spirits. He's already chucked a spear at David and tried to pin him to the wall. Now he's starting to resolve in his heart that he's going to kill David. And from this point on, basically Saul is going to be hunting David until the end of Saul's reign when he's killed in battle against the Philistines. Saul, Saul chapter 19 of 1 Samuel, and Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told, Saul, told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood, by killing David without cause. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul so that when he struck the spear into the wall, so that he struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed, and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head, and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed, 
with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me thus, and let my enemy go, so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. In Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied, and Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah, and came to the great well that is that that is in CQ. And he asked, Where is where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Naoth in Ramah. And he went there to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went he prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah, and he too stripped off his clothes, and he who he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? Hmm. This is First Samuel 19. This is the word of God. And what do we make of Saul here? I mean, he's, he's really troubled. He seems mentally unstable, spiritually troubled, angry, and yet... Then, reg- then regretting his anger. A lot of violent, abusive people, you know, people who abuse uh, their wives or their children or, or other people, they can often fly into fits of rage and act out of the anger and, of the moment in a rush of passion and do great violence. And then when the adrenaline settles down and, and their head clears, they, they regret what they've done and they're apologetic because... They don't want to believe that they actually did that. And so they are, you know, remorseful, although we wouldn't say truly repentant because they haven't really changed in the heart. And that's really what we're seeing with Saul here. It's very realistic in this pattern that he's, he gets angry. He wants to kill him. Then Jonathan sort of talks him, sent to him and says, oh, you know, he even says so strongly there in verse six, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. But before too long... He's wanting to kill David again. But the way this is put in verse 9 is, is troubling, confusing. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. So what does that mean, a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul? Well, God restrains the activity of Satan and demonic spirits and evil spirits. God restrains them. He, he protects his people from them. And so at times when he says um, he removes his hand of protection, then the harmful spirits can come. And I think that's how we should see this. It it does come from the Lord because the Lord removes his hand of protection. But it doesn't mean that God himself is the author of evil or is the direct sending agent of this harmful spirit, but rather because God has already judged Saul and found him wanting, and because this is what is in Saul's 
life or heart, uh, God removes his protecting hand, his, his preserving hand, and he goes after him. And we see this, this incident with the spear again, uh, which we saw back in, uh, in 1812 or 19, yeah, in 1812, we saw this. Um, and so this is just a temperamental, violent, spiritually troubled, psychologically disturbed, angry man. He's, he's jealous. He's, he's bitter. Uh, and so, so David goes home, so, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hang around the King. If he's this way, I'm going to go home. So he goes home, but Saul even sends messengers to David's house to watch over him. And so this is, uh, this is referenced in Psalm 59, by the way, if you want to read a good Psalm after today's devotional, that would encourage your heart as to how, how would you, how should you seek the Lord if you're in trouble and in distress? Well, Psalm 59 is a psalm that David wrote after this incident where his house was being watched all night. Imagine you're in a relatively small town and you know the king's men are watching your house. They're watching to see if you come. And so uh, it's Michael who actually encourages him. If you don't escape with your life tonight, you're going to be killed. And so she lays him down, lets him down through the window and he escapes and, and he flees. And then she's the one who puts uh, a substitute in the bed to help cover. Again, we see this similar to Rahab, like here she is deceiving. Here she is uh, hiding, deceiving, lying to those who are in authority. Is, is that right? Well, it's to protect life. It's to protect innocent life. So we saw this with the Hebrew midwives in the book of Exodus. We see this with Rahab in the book of Joshua. We see it here with Michael and David. It is right to protect human life. It, now, none of these cases do we see people taking things into their own hands and becoming violent. The Hebrew midwives and Rahab and Michael, they, they, don't, they don't pick up a sword or a dagger and go attack, you know, the authorities, but they, but they do shelter. And we saw this, you know, during World War II when many faithful Christians, especially in the Netherlands, sheltered many Jewish families and protected them from harm, from protecting innocent life from harm is something God always commends us to do. Uh, and so it, it, is, it is not a sin to protect innocent human life uh, when we have the ability to do so. So then David flees from there and he escapes and he goes to Samuel. Now we might think, well, that's not such a smart thing to do. We see this in David a couple times. Um, he, he has this heart for the Lord. And so his heart is, if I'm running away, I need to seek the Lord. I'm going to go as the Lord's anointed. I'm going to go to the Lord's anointed. So he goes to Samuel. And who's the Lord's anointed, and he wants to consult with him. And, but word gets out. You know, David's there with Samuel. And they've gone to Naoth and Ramah. And so Saul sends messengers. And then, and then it gets really strange at the end of this chapter, doesn't it? Did you think it got really strange? Or is that just me? <laughs> it gets really strange at the end of the chapter because these messengers come, and as they come, the Spirit of God comes upon them, and they prophesy. Now, these are bad guys. These are thugs. These are being sent out from the king to take an innocent life. And the spirit of God is coming upon them and they're prophesying. And then David himself, or I'm so, sorry, Saul himself comes to David and he's going to kill him. And he goes, finds out where he is and he's going toward Naoth and Ramah. And the spirit of God comes upon him also. And he prophesies until he gets there. Like, what do we make of this? Well, God is sovereign and God is protecting David. 
And God does so in uh, a very powerful way. He, he is able to overwhelm people, to overwhelm their natural cognitive faculties, their, their natural ability to think for themselves. He is able to do that even by the Spirit of God, to overwhelm someone so that they, they are saying things they don't even understand. They're coming directly from the Lord, and they themselves are being uh, disabled, as it were, by the Lord to protect the Lord's anointed. Now, is this a normal thing to do? No, it's, it's not a normal thing for God to do. In fact, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul is talking about order in worship and the need to have an orderly worship service, he tells us that only one should speak a word of prophecy at a time and that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. So in a worship service context, Paul says, you can't just get carried away in the spirit. You have to be under control. Everything needs to be done decently and in order. You need to just have one word of prophecy. And I think to parallel that to, to the way we worship today, like if I as the pastor am getting up and preaching, I'm responsible for what I say, although I pray to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I believe and trust the Holy Spirit to empower me as I preach and to empower the words that come out so that they are the word of God, I'm still accountable for what I say because I'm still in control of my faculty and my senses. If I say something that's an error, it's my error. It's not God's. I can't blame the Holy Spirit. But just because that's how God normally works, just because that's the normative practice, it doesn't mean that God is excluded Right? God doesn't tie his hands and say, I'll never just fill, so fill someone with the Holy Spirit that they prophesy and they don't even know what they're talking about. He does that. I mean, he gave a donkey the power of speech to be able to speak to Balaam in the book of Numbers, right? Uh, <clears throat> he is able to do whatever he wants to do, all his holy will. And it is his holy will here to humble King Saul, to disable him, to humble him. This is a a final warning really to Saul to say, you are not in control here. You are angry because David is a better warrior than you and the people like him more than you and the women are singing their songs about how Saul has killed his thousands but David his tens of thousands and you're angry about that but you are not in control. It is not your kingdom. You have sinned against the Lord and you'd better stop before you do yourself real harm. This is God's grace and mercy, as well as his judgment, all mixed in together against Saul to say, I'm going to keep you from doing this great evil. I'm going to protect David's life. I'm going to protect Israel from this great evil. And I'm going to set you aside. So it's not normal for God to do this, but certainly God is able to do this. Well, what, where do we see Jesus in this, in this strange chapter? Well, Jesus was protected. Repeatedly, throughout his earthly ministry, there were times when the people in his hometown of Nazareth tried to drive him off the edge of the cliff, but he walked right through them. There were times when the authorities wanted to lay hands on him, but they could not. Sometimes they were afraid of the crowd. Sometimes they just couldn't get a hold of him. He'd walk right through the middle of them. So Jesus was divinely protected, just as David was divinely protected, until the appointed time. And then Jesus tells us in John 10, no one takes my life away from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I lay it down. I have power to take it up again. Jesus gives up his life for us voluntarily because it is God's will for our salvation. God is able to protect. And so we should, we should keep that in mind and put it in our hearts and realize God is able to protect his own. 
If he chooses not to do so in a way that we expect or for whatever reason, he has a good reason for it. He has a good purpose for it, and we have to trust him for that. But he's able to protect his own. And what we need to do is we need to trust God. Like David. David is not fighting back against Saul. He's not raising an army to go march on Jerusalem, or, or not, not Jerusalem yet, but to go march on um, Gibeah, I guess, where Saul would have his troops, and to overthrow them. He, he is content He's trusting in God. And so we can see Christ and we can see what our calling is here as well. Let's trust the Lord. Even if we live in dark times, even if we seems like we're surrounded, outnumbered, God is able to guard his own and we can and must trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and for this chapter. Even though parts of it seem very odd to us and hard to understand, you are the sovereign one. That's what we see here. You're the one who's in control. You rule, you reign, you guard, you protect, you bless, you order according to your purposes for your glory and for the good of your people. So help us to trust that and lead us according to your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's 1 Samuel 19. Tomorrow, guess what we're doing? 1 Samuel 20. Hope you can join me for that. And as always, have a blessed day in the Lord.